Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. The Dice Tower Network is home for great board gaming podcasts, news, reviews, commentary, just about anything you could want. Any information or news that you're looking for, turns out the Dice Tower will have it. Want great podcasts to listen to on your way to work? Dice Tower has those as well. Everything from great interviews with the Little Metal Dog Show, to the latest, greatest war games in the Hex Encounter, to great comedy with Flip the Table, and all the way through to how games work and why designers make the choices they do in Ludology. No matter what your interest is, you'll find something that you want on the Dice Tower. The Longview is also generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com www.gamesurplus.com is the best online retailer that anyone could ever hope for. They have a fantastic selection of games, and if they don't have it, they'll be happy to track down a copy for you. Thor and his family are known for their fantastic customer service and great prices. So if you have an interest in the games that we're discussing today, go to gamesurplus.com to place your order and tell them the Longview sent you. My name is Jeff Gamble, I'm the host of The Long View, and today I'm very pleased once again to be joined by Martin Griffiths uh, from the UK. You might know him as QWERTY Martin on Board Game Geek. And Martin and I are going to be getting together today to talk about one of his favorite games, and a game that I have some experience with, though I won't claim it's my favorite, Reiner Knizia's Ra. So, Martin, thank you very much for joining me today, and I'm very grateful that you're uh, willing to come back and talk on the show with me. Oh, thanks for having me again, Jeff. Not a problem at all. It's always my pleasure. Um, Martin, uh, before we dive into Raw, one of the things that I'm trying to do a little bit new this year is uh, I'm I'm trying to kind of take a look and and run through sort of with my guests maybe uh, a year in games, uh, sort of a a general kind of a start to the show. And just so that there's something there maybe that uh, everybody might be kind of interested, perhaps, at least I hope, in listening to, uh, before we dive into the main meat of the episode where we're going to discuss the game of Raw. So, um last episode that I recorded, um, I talked with Trent Ham about Netrunner, and we looked at the year 2010. So, Martin, your year is you're the winner of 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, when I do a little advanced search here on Board Game Geek for the games uh, that came out in 2009, I, I see we have quite a few. Uh, the first one that kind of pops on the list is Small World. Um, Martin, is Small World a game that you played either in its earlier incarnation as Vinci or um, as Small World itself? Is this one you have any experience with? Uh, Yeah, I have played both those games, uh, not particularly extensively. I think I've played Vinci maybe once, twice at the most, and Small World maybe three times. Uh, So I haven't played the games a lot. In both the... Case is kind of a game I didn't hate, but I wasn't blown away by either. I, I think I probably prefer Vinci, mainly just for thematic reasons. I'm not really big on the uh, fantasy themes. I, I prefer the historical type themes, so I probably prefer Vinci slightly. Um, though I think some of the changes they made with with Small World were probably uh, quite sensible as well. Um, yeah, I mean, a clever system. I like the way you have the, the, the combination of the, the 
power and the race and the kind of bidding on 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 the ones you want to get hold of to keep that balanced um but yeah just not a game that ever really made me super excited i don't think Right. Yeah. I mean, this is actually a game that I own for quite a while. And, and I would say that the main reason I own this game is because of my kids. Um, they really enjoyed it. They really enjoyed the fantasy theme. They enjoyed the different crazy race combinations. And I think they also enjoyed the fact that it was uh, it was a relatively quick game and it was pretty straightforward. Not a lot of rules, a very simple system, but not a lot of depth there. At least, you know, I might take some heat for that because I know that the different races can do different things and that that can lead to some sort of opportunities and perhaps some strategic planning. I did find the game to be kind of more, I really did view it more as a kid's game. And my kids actually sort of seemed to outgrow it a little bit. Uh Um, So it wasn't something that, you know, stayed in my collection for a long time. This is also another game, Martin, that I would say is the poster child for um, iOS implementation because one of the things I do remember about Small World, it was it was incredible pain to deal with all of the races and, and the, the cardboard chits for each race and a storage solution for them. And, you know, each player might go through two or three or perhaps even four different races, uh, you know, during the course of the game. And so there was an awful lot of sort of um, just manual work and fiddliness to the game that, of course, when you play on the iOS, all of that is seamlessly taken care of for you. And so Small World left my collection, but it stayed in my collection as an iOS game. Yeah. The next one that I see here, Martin, is Dungeon Lords. Now, this is a Vlada Shavadal game, and, you know, basically, I'm usually a Vlada Shavadal fanboy. Uh, I love Through the Ages, uh, for example. It's one of my favorite games. Um, and, and I really enjoy many of his designs. Galaxy Trucker, I think, is just an absolute blast to play. I played Dungeon Lords once, and it was it was interesting, but it was a real sort of... I don't know. It, it there again. It was very complex, and a lot of rules and a lot of setup for basically a run of heroes to try to come and bust through your dungeon and sort of try to destroy you know what you had set up. And uh, I really didn't enjoy this one that much. Now maybe I didn't give it a fair enough of a shake, but it was definitely not one of my favorites. Did you have any experience with this one? This one I have played a couple of times also, and I think pretty much the first time I played it, I was fairly sure I wasn't going to like it. Um, I'm not the biggest uh, fan of his, and it just the explanation of the rules, it just seemed so complex, and I was just kind of tuning out, and I'm not crazy about the theme either. And I, actually, that first game, I kind of had more fun than I expected to, but then... I wasn't really expecting to have very much fun at all. So um, I did play it again and what, yeah, I, I, I just didn't find it my kind of thing, I guess. I think it's uh, like all of his games is, it is very clever and, um, and, and I can see why people like it, but yeah, not really, not really for me. Yeah, I, I, that's one that I just never really had the chance to get to the table again, and, and it wasn't something that I was going to seek out. I mean, I, I wouldn't refuse to play it, but uh, again, it was it was an awful lot of rules for, yeah. to me, what was kind of like this fantasy game that should have been sort of a light kind of a romp, 
and it ended up being this sort of weird hybrid between sort of this fantasy cartoony kind of a, a funny sort of a game and this serious heavy strategic planning and I'm like this just it didn't match for me so that yeah and, and it also has this kind of you have the kind of building your dungeon phase where you're doing simultaneous selection of actions and it's kind of interesting you're trying to guess what other people might want to go for and outmaneuver them but then you get to this section where you just have the adventurers coming into your dungeon and it's just kind of a, a solo puzzle for each player it seemed like and and that wasn't very fun to me yeah that's another real good point too is it did kind of have that feel to it especially during that phase i agree uh the next one i see on the list here martin is steam um now steam is of course a sort of re-implementation of age of steam and there was all kinds as i recall of sort of controversy and uh, kerfuffle over martin wallace and mayfair and eagle and there was all kinds of stuff going on there uh, about the name steam and uh, the 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 game and so uh, at the end of the day though um, out of all of the train games that I have owned Steam is the one that's still in my collection um, I have not had the opportunity to play Age of Steam that that is you know I got to say that right out the bat but you know I've played many other train games and and I was a big fan of the uh, Railways of the World series um, formerly Railroad Tycoon that that was the version mm-hmm. I had. And had a blast playing it, but my God, the footprint of that game, it's kind of <laughs> funny. Like, I don't know whether I'm just getting old and, and curmudgeonly or crotchety or whatever, but, uh, you know, I, I remember when I first got Railroad Tycoon, I loved the hugeness of it. I was like, this is so cool. It's huge. And look at all these plastic pieces for the empty city markers. And this game is awesome. And then after a while, I was like, you know, this is a pain to set up. And I don't even have a table big enough to fit this thing. And then. I introduced the England and Wales map with the stock market and the stock boards uh, for the different train companies, and it was so huge. I literally had to get separate tables set up, and I was like, you know, I, I, I've had enough of this. And my friend was a big Steam fan, and I tried that, and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm done. This is fine for me. This does <laughs> everything that I want. Um, and then with the addition of Steam Barons, it kicks in that sort of, uh, you know, that that almost 18xx feel with the the different companies with their stock and and all of that. So, I'm a big fan of Steam. I I think it's probably my favorite train game uh, because it seems to do everything very well and it does it in a good time frame and a tight package with plenty of expansions for replayability. I like this one. What about you? Uh, yeah, I I do like it. Again, I've I've played. Steam a couple of times. I played Age of Steam once, and actually played a bunch more of um, of Railroad Tycoon. And I kind of feel like it's sacrilege to say that I, I prefer uh, Railroad Tycoon because a lot of people are very much, you know, Age of Steam is the one. Age of Steam, it's it's you know, it's more pure and it's more brutal and and all the rest of it. But I really like that huge board for Railroad Tycoon, and and it just I feel you know you're going to set aside a good chunk of time and you're maybe going to have six players and just around that enormous board. It just gives a nice atmosphere to it, I think. And, um, but yeah, I, I did, I have enjoyed the times I played steam as well. Um, and for all the reasons you say, I think, um, you know, I think it streamlines the whole thing quite nicely and reduces the footprint and, and all the rest of it. And I didn't have, because I didn't play age of steam when it first came out and I wasn't a kind of big age of steam fan i didn't have that feeling i guess that a lot of age of steam fans had that 
Steam had taken away the things that they they liked and and, right. and made it too easy and all that. I know how they feel though because I very much did feel that way with Brass being re-implemented as as Age of Industry and I and I did feel that Age of Industry was sort of a, a, a downgrade and 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 spoiled a lot of things I loved about Brass. So I can I can totally understand why some of the Age of Steam fans do do feel that way. You know, that's a really interesting comparison you make. I think we could go off on that tangent for quite some time if we uh, aren't too careful because (laughs) I I have both of those games and uh, I actually enjoy them both, I will say. But I do prefer Brass. Um, You know, Brass, I think, just captures a time and a place and a unique sort of a, a situation. And I love absolutely love the two era um yeah. you know effect of brass where you have that board reset in the middle of the game and it, it just is is so different and it's something that i really enjoy about brass but age of industry again i enjoy it i think it's nice um my only kind of complaint about age of industry is that you know if you're going to sort of streamline it like it was um, it should be shorter than it is, and it's not. Yeah. It doesn't play a whole lot shorter than than Brass does. So, I, I almost would rather just play Brass then. So that, yeah. that's kind of my feeling on that. Um, taking a look down this list here, I'm going to throw. We're we're running uh, you know into some time here. I don't want to be too long with this, but I'm going to kind of do a lightning round now. I'm going to throw some names of games out at you. And yep. you tell me if there's any here that you particularly either really enjoy or thought were just absolutely overhyped or, or don't understand why people like them because uh, we're not afraid to dive into controversy, Martin. So here okay. we go. Thunderstone. Domin- not played it. Not played it. All right. Dominion Intrigue. Played it once, uh, but I pretty much lost interest in Dominion by then. Oh, okay. Well, that's got that's too big of a bone for me to just leave. Sit there. <laughs> so, why did you lose interest in Dominion? What 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 does Dominion, the darling of deck building, a game which I do enjoy, uh, what is it about Dominion that didn't hold your interest? What's the problem with it? Uh, I think I probably don't really like deck building that much in general, and I think part of what I was actually talking to this about talking about this uh, to a to a friend earlier and i think part of it with dominion is kind of the disconnect between planning what you're going to do and then seeing the results so i almost feel like you kind of decide your plan for the game right at the start and then you see whether it worked at the end and in between just felt like a lot of kind of churning that plan and like yes i'm sure you can you can tune your plan along the way and you can respond to what people are doing to some extent but i did have that feeling that kind of the interesting part was actually looking at the kingdom cards that were available and thinking this is what i'm going to try this time and then it just eventually came to feel a bit of a chore to actually just execute that plan to see whether it was going to work and also whether it was work would partly depend on just on the way that the cards got shuffled as well so I don't know. I just, I, I just got bored. I guess I, I did play it a bunch when when it first came out. I played it a lot, and it's still up there in my most played games because I played it a lot. But then one day I just stopped. It wasn't really a kind of slowly petering out. I was playing it a lot. I was playing it a lot, and then I just stopped. And I just haven't really been interested in picking it up again. 
You know, that's really interesting what you said there because uh, I, I think you may be on to something. I'd be curious what listeners to the show would have to say about that idea, this this notion that, you know, the, the interesting part is looking at those kingdom cards and deciding which ones you're going to use to try to win the game. And the rest of it is almost, in my mind, a little bit of a race game then. It's like, okay, is my plan of using card A, B, and C – Going right. to allow me to win the game before, you know, my opponent's plans with cards A, D, and F. Um, you know, and, and and like you said, it's it's kind of at that point, like once you've sort of um, chosen the the sort of path that you want to go down. Um, it's not that you can't change, but that in my experience, if you don't follow your sort of path with the cards that you've chosen for your strategy and dominion. It costs you time, and this this is kind of that race feel, right? You end yeah. up getting cards that aren't necessarily advancing your plan, but maybe as defense or maybe as a, a shift in your strategy. And what I find is that any kind of deviation costs you time, and if you're playing with a good Dominion player, time will kill you because... Yeah. They, if their kind of engine that they get running with their card combos is a good one, um, the first thing they're going to do is race for the gold. And then once they get their gold, they're going to build up some money and then they're going to start, you know, churning for those victory point cards. So, you know, I, I really feel like you do that the most interesting and engaging part for me, still for Dominion, and I enjoy it, is looking at those cards and saying, okay. This one will work with that, and then, ooh, I can put this in, and then, oh, I see that there's a witch, so maybe I should think about throwing some boats in there. And then you just kind of go. And then the rest of it is resolution, in my mind. It's kind of like, let's see how it all pans out. And I I think, though, that the difference maybe between you and I, Martin, is that uh, it's such a quick game when you're playing with people who are used to playing it that the procedural kind of nature of it, as you kind of wait and see how it all panned out, it's so quick that it really doesn't bother me. I'm not investing an hour to see how my plan. Right. I'm investing 15 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes, and it's not that big of a deal. So, yeah, but that's a very interesting point. I appreciate you sharing that because I never really thought of it that way, that it's this initial puzzle, picking your strategy, and then just kind of the race to see which strategy is going to win. Um, I, that's a really interesting point. Um, Thunderstone. I'll talk about Thunderstone for a second, but not much. I already did an episode on it. I still like Thunderstone. I kind of feel like Thunderstone does a lot of things right, uh, but it also does some things wrong. I like the theme of Thunderstone. I enjoy playing it. It, To me, it tells a story, whereas Dominion does not. Um, But Thunderstone is a game that definitely requires some tweaks. And if you're interested, here I'm promoting myself, if you're interested, (laughs) go back and listen to the Thunderstone episode because uh, Jim Shaw and I talk quite extensively about um, what is great about that system and what are some kind of flaws maybe of that system and how the gaming community has kind of fixed it and tweaked it and then what AEG has done in response to the criticisms has been really interesting as well. So that's kind of neat. Um, how about Endeavor? Yeah, I just noticed that one on the list here. I, I enjoyed that game. Um, I think it's a very kind of polished, uh, smooth-running Euro. A lot of thought went into it, and a really impressive production, I thought, for first-time designers. Um, I've played it, you know, maybe 
seven or eight times, something like that, and and enjoyed those plays. It's 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 one of those ones that I'm happy to see it if someone brings it along, and I'm happy to play it. It's not one that I felt that I needed to own because I wanted to play it all the time, but I think it's it's nicely done. Yeah, I feel pretty much exactly the way you do. It's a beautiful little engine. It's it's a it's a very polished is the word you use, and I would agree a hundred percent. It's it's a nifty little game, and uh, it's very accessible. It's not really hard to teach, but there's some really interesting decisions that you have to make in that game. So uh, on the whole, and and the game. Um, is one of those kind of games that accelerates as you go. Yeah. Um, so you start off with you know things moving uh, very simply, not not much going on, but then the game really ramps up as you go. And, and I really appreciate game designs that do that because it really kind of ratchets up the level of tension and interest as the game goes, rather than uh, you know a sort of uh, other games where the winner is sort of apparent halfway through, and then there's a sort of long, slow decline as you wait to see that confirmed. Endeavor yeah. really kind of ramps up, so I, I kind of appreciate that. Uh, the last ones that I want to throw at you, Summoner Wars. Not played it. Okay. Um, Summoner Wars is a really interesting game. The only thing that I'll say is my kids absolutely adore it. And it's another one that I think um, has been really helped by the iOS implementation and that it put it in a lot of people's hands. I think it is a neat game. I don't know that it's as amazing as some people have said. Um, but it is one that I enjoy. It's in my collection primarily because my kids love it. Uh, last one for today, The Resistance. Ah, yes. Uh, this one is really popular at my games club, London on Board, as an end-of-the-night game, and I usually try to avoid it. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good design. I think it's very clever. Um, I'm terrible at it, and I don't really enjoy... <laughs> the kind of thinking that you have to do i i I just i just don't i'm bad at lying i'm i just don't get the game if i'm the spy i'm just i give myself away immediately um so it's just not that much fun for me but i can see that a lot of people have a lot of fun playing it and uh, that that's fine yeah, this is one that I enjoy tremendously. Uh, my kids and, and I really enjoy playing this. We just played this the other night when we had some friends over, some adults. And uh, the thing about the game that I really enjoy is that uh, it's raucous. You know, if you play with, if you play it right, it's a very raucous game. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of people accusing each other, a lot of people politicking and trying to convince everybody else that someone else is the traitor. Um, and, and there's just so much kind of fun as, as the accusations get thrown around. But then there is a little, you know, there's definitely a, an interesting little game in there. And I think the expansion cards add quite a bit to the game. I think they're kind of almost a must. Uh, these yeah. are the cards that you know let let you do things like you know maybe peek at a neighbor's uh, roll card or something of that nature or uh, force someone to play their votes face up or something. So you know there's just a, a lot of fun to be had with the game. But I think you're right. If if you don't like confrontation, if you're not particularly good at lying, if you're not the kind of person that's going to bluster, um, yeah. you know, oh, this... I'm fine with confrontation, but but yeah, it's the it's just. The lying. I'm the just, bold face I just lying. Be, I, I just can't figure out how you're supposed to be doing what you want to do as a spy, but at right. the same time look like you're doing what you'd be doing if you were not a spy. It's 
exactly. doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's one of those. It is a little tricky to wrap your mind around. And and you know, as far as I know, the the, the biggest secret to being a spy is you know you don't trash the, the first mission. You know, you yeah, you you have to build trust before you stab someone in the back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, but it was interesting too because with all this talk about bluster and 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 accusations and uh, uh, raucousness, the last game we played, we uh, we lost as as the good guys uh, because one of the spies was the lady sitting to my left, and she didn't say a word the entire game she just kind of sat there and took it in and everybody sort of just she flew under everybody's radar and yeah. uh, everybody trusted her and she just absolutely killed us in the end so it was it's just a it's a fun game i, I think as a social experience it's a lot of fun but i yeah. realize as you said not for everybody so yeah well martin i, oh, appreciate I, was, you. I was just gonna say could i could i throw a couple at you before oh sure we, uh, before yeah, we yeah, finish? Yeah, yeah absolutely all right a couple of the games that i think are really great from this year that kind of went under the radar a bit. Um, and the first one is Power Struggle. Do you know this game? Power Struggle. Um, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I played it. Is that the Z-Man game? Yeah. Um, and it's themed around office politics. Yes. No, uh, I am familiar with the game, but I have not played it. Okay. I, I highly recommend this game um, because it's it's really unusual. It kind of looks at first like it's going to be a, an area majority game and it's going to be fairly standard, but it's it has a lot of really unique ideas, and it also comes with um, a corruption mechanic where you have uh, envelopes that you can slip people uh, bribes, uh, oh, nice. which I think is awesome as well. Um, a re- it's a really cool game. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention was uh, Chronicle, which is uh, the trick-taking game. Yeah. game by Seiji Kanai, one of my favorite designers from Japan, who... Uh, who designed Love Letter, which has been a huge hit, but Chronicle was his, uh, one of his previous games and, and also a really excellent game, I think. Yeah, Chronicle is one that I played a couple of times. My friend uh, uh, Steve Oxenic brought that over uh, one night, uh, Stormseeker 75, their onboard game geek. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he taught it to me, and uh, I enjoyed it about as much as I enjoy any trick-taking game. Um, and, and that you know, that's not trying to damn it with faint praise. I'm generally not a fan of trick-taking games uh-huh. at all, I've found. But... That one I thought really was kind of interesting. I thought uh, you know some of the ideas behind it were were kind of novel and uh, interesting. And it's it's kind of funny that you say that uh, you know he's the same designer that did Love Letter because again Chronicle is a very small game, not a yeah. lot of cards, and yet there were a lot of interesting decisions in Chronicle and a lot of interesting interactions that I didn't expect in such a small game. And you know I would say the same thing is kind of true of Love Letter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He has a very recognizable style, I think. I've played a bunch of his games now. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if some of the uh, predictions that I've heard on other podcasts, um, you know, about maybe this micro game idea kind of becoming more and more popular, whether or not that's going to happen. I I think I was listening to, oh, geez, what was it? I don't know if it was Gamers on Games or... Uh, actually, it was a gentleman who had sent me an email. I have to kind of take a look. Maybe I can find him while I'm talking through this. But uh, yeah, th- there was a a podcast, and uh, you know they had talked about this kind of proliferation of these kind of very small games. Um, you know, games that are are you know not this huge kind of yeah. production, and that maybe 
you know, this would be somewhere that, you know, people would be going in the future. So, um, you know, I'd be curious to see. I'll I'll have to kind of uh, look. Maybe I'll put in my notes here if I can find the name of the podcast because it's a relatively new one. And uh-huh. uh, I listened to it, and it was it was very uh, it was very interesting, and and this is I think where that came up, and it is a member of the Dice Tower Network, so we'll have to see if we can give them a shout out at some point. Well, Martin, thank you very much for uh, taking that peek at 2009. I mean, there's a lot of games we didn't get to. Some of the ones that I love, uh, some that I've I've enjoyed, like Automobile, for example. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, uh, we're, we're going to move on now because we've been going. I, I said I wanted to keep this to 10 minutes, and we're sitting here at like 27. So <laughs> we haven't done a very good job. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out a way to control myself when we do these or people are going to start <laughs> complaining. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the game of Raw. Now, Raw, as, as I think most people in the game world are familiar with, but um, Raw is, is a game that uh, was designed by uh, Reiner Knizia, and uh, it's a, basically, I would call it an auction game, and also, in some ways, a tableau-building game. Um, and basically, the, the, the game is notable for many reasons, but one of the reasons is it's extremely simple. Um, at least, mechanically, it's simple. The choices, basically, the game revolves around there are three different epochs, or eras, that the game's going to be played over. And uh, on your turn, you are going to be picking a tile blind out of a bag and placing it on this sort of central board, this offering board. Um, or you uh, have the opportunity to call Ra. And when you, when you say Ra, you are going to then start an auction for the tiles that have already been placed on the board. So your, your kind of base choices are kind of quite simple. Uh, the only other thing that can happen is you can pull a tile, and the tile can be a raw tile, which kind of forces you to call raw, whether you wanted to or not, and start an auction. Um, you can also draw a tile that will fill the row, uh, which you know then can have some other consequences. But my point is, it's a really simple game. There, there's, it doesn't take long to teach, um, and it has a couple of just very sort of elegant mechanics to it. And that's a theme that I want to return to later. But for right now, Martin, is there anything that you can think of that you would like to kind of say by way of introduction of the game uh, that I haven't already said that uh, you'd like to share with people about Raw and how it's played? Um, well, I think you covered a lot of the stuff that, that appeals to me there. I think definitely that thing about it being very simple and basically having those two choices um, you know, am I going to pull a tile or am I going to call Ra? Um, and it kind of amazes me how much, how many difficult decisions and how much replayability comes out of just those two choices. I mean, occasionally it's uh, there is a third choice as well, but but essentially it's just the two choices, and that's kind of um, a hallmark of Knizia's designs to me that he gives you these fairly simple choices, but but quite deep decision-making arises from those. And I think that's a really cool thing. Um, the other thing is, you said, yes, it's um, it's an auction game, and I agree that it's that it's an auction game. Some people say, sometimes say that it's, they don't think of it as an auction game, and that's because you're not bidding with money or sort of continuous amounts. You only have these unique bidding tiles. You each start with either three or four of the tiles, depending on the player count. And so I might have, you know, a 13, a 10, a 6, and a 5, and 
those are the only bids I can make. Um, and this is really neat because it does away with the problem that you sometimes have in, in auction games that it's really hard for people to know how to value stuff. And, you know, is this worth $27 or is it worth $28? And, and you can get those kind of boring situations where everyone's just going around and raising it by just one more. You know, this happens in power grid sometimes. It's like, well, I bid 52. Well, I bid 53. And, you know, it can go on a while. With RAR, the auction, you have these fixed bidding amounts and it's a once around auction so you only get one shot so it's i think that cuts out a lot of that um wasted time you sometimes get with auction games i think it's a really cool feature and actually really interesting that one of those you're bidding on is a bidding time for a future round as well so that's that's really really clever too yeah, I was going to bring that up because that to me was was one of the more interesting features because, you know, many times I would take a look at a display of tiles um, and think, okay, I might want to bid on those, but, I, I, the, you know, I'm going to get the two tile um, and I'm going to have to give up maybe my 10 or my 12. And I'm like, you know, I just don't know if I'm willing to do that. So I think sometimes the, the, the valuation of the bidding tiles is as important of a decision as the tiles themselves. Um, yeah. so, so before we go any further, though, let me talk a little bit about these tiles. Um, there, there are different types of tiles in the game. And like I said, I kind of call this a bit of a tableau building game because you are kind of building your own personal display of tiles. And, and there are uh, different types. Uh, there are what are called pharaoh tiles. And in a typical Kinesia kind of a fashion, the person with the most pharaoh tiles at the end of an epoch is going to gain some points, and the person with the least amount of tiles is going to lose points. Um, there are what are called civilization, I believe they're called. Are they civilization yeah. or kingdom tile? I can't remember. But civilization. They're civilization yeah. tiles, which basically um, are different pictures of, you know, one is showing somebody scribing something on a wall. Uh, another one is, is uh, you know, showing somebody uh, carrying like a sheaf of wheat, I believe. There's all these kinds of different sort of pictures, and your goal is to try to get different pictures. Um, different images of these civilization tiles. If you don't, you will be punished. In other words, if you let your civilization sort of go by the wayside in pursuit of uh, power through your pharaohs or building monuments at the expense of your civilization, you're going to lose points. If you really advance your civilization during that epoch by collecting a uh, diverse set of these tiles, you're going to actually score some good points. So, uh, But sadly, those all go away, um, which is another interesting mechanic. There are some of these tiles that you keep and some that go away. Um, and I kind of found that an interesting aspect of the game as well. Then there are these tiles that are basically your Nile tiles. These are, these are tiles that just kind of show uh, a picture of uh, the Nile River and some plants kind of growing because, of course, the Nile provided most of the food for the, uh, you know, the regions uh, um, you know, that, that grew up uh, around Egypt because it was the fertile land in that region. And then there are these Nile flood tiles, which are extremely important because if you have a Nile flood tile in your display when an epoch ends, you're going to actually get points for each of the other Nile tiles that you have in your display. If you don't have a flood tile, you get bupkis. 
So those are extremely important. And finally, you have monument tiles, which depict different monuments. It could be the Sphinx, it could be a pyramid, either step style or the uh, style of pyramid with the smooth sides that we're kind of accustomed to seeing today. Um, you know, others that kind of look like temples, like the, the columns of the Temple of Karnak or what have you. And so you have these different monument tiles that you're trying to collect, but they're only for end game scoring. So, you know, once again, in, in kind of a, a, a Kinesia type of way, at least to my mind, there's different ways to score points and there's different times of the game when each of those different types of tiles becomes important. So this really kind of makes, at least for me, drives a lot of the decision-making process in the game as far as what am I going to bid and what am I willing to pay for it. Um, how much of the game do you think is driven you know, by these kinds of tile displays? And do you find that you have had any successful kind of long-term sort of strategies that you've used or general principles in the tiles that you acquire in Ra? Okay. Um, you said you think of it as a tableau building game. I guess I think the first thing I'd say is I don't really think of it as a tableau building game. Because... Oh, well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because while you are collecting stuff and putting it in front of you in a personal display that stuff doesn't really do anything once you've got it it's not like a kind of race for the gut where you get special powers and then you use those to get more stuff you know the stuff you get is pretty much just scoring you points right either during or at the end of the game so i guess i'd think of it more as a, a sec collection than a than a tableau building but we're splitting hairs there anyway um well one of the many things i like about raw is that you can't really just choose to focus on on one thing because the tiles that you're going to be bidding on over the course of the game are coming out randomly from the bag and you're going to end with um, with a bunch of different stuff across all the categories. And you're kind of trying to um, purchase the stuff that you need that will fit in with what you're trying to do, but you can't kind of force one particular route and, and, and stick to it. So, yeah, like you said, things will vary in value through the course of the game because some of the tiles once you get them you keep them for the rest of the game and some of them only last till the end of one of the three epochs and then they go away so i always prioritize the pharaohs quite heavily at the beginning of the game because there are three times they're going to score at the beginning of the game so if you manage to get a good lead in the first epoch you could get 15 points just for that because five at the end of the first five at the end of the second five at the end of the third and similarly with, with the rivers the earlier you get them the better because more chances to to score them um the civilizations are, are kind of nice because there's just that tension every epoch you have to get one or you get minus five points and and five is a pretty significant chunk of a, uh, of a score in this game so there's always that kind of tension of well i've got a bunch of stuff i wanted but i don't have any civilization yet and i can only buy one more set of tiles um how am I so that's a neat little recurring tension and then the monuments are they can be worth huge amounts of points at the end of the game but they don't score anything during the game so it kind of doesn't matter when you get them but if you don't start collecting them early you'll just find you know, you, ha you haven't managed to build up any, any sets by the end. But I've definitely ha had games where I've had a 
low score going into the final scoring, but I've got a huge collection of, of monuments and that's taken me through. And I've also had ones where I've just not really bothered with the monuments at all and made, made up some other way. So yeah, there's lots of different, lots of different sources of points in this game. Yeah. It's, the reason I was asking that is, uh, you know, on the, uh, uh, discussion thread, which is the blog posting for, uh, this episode that, uh, I put up a couple weeks ago, uh, Eric Brocious, uh, uh, user, um, and, and a uh, listener to the show kind of asked that question. He said, you know, um, it seems to him, you know, he attends the WBC as I do in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, fantastic, uh, uh board gaming convention in August. Uh, there's my little shout out to them. Um, but anyway, uh, he, you know, he says that he's noticed that, you know, they have tournaments every year and that the same people do seem to win these tournaments. And so, you know, his curiosity is, you know, that's not, that can't be luck. I mean, one of the things that Ra is criticized for is the luck of the tile draw from the bag. Like, there's no way to mitigate that. Like, you can't, you can't take that away. There's no tokens you're going to turn in to get to take a tile of your choice from the bag. There's no, there's nothing that is going to allow you to tap a card and take another draw. I mean, there's there's nothing that can be done about what's drawn from that bag. And so, his question was, you know, that the the one that I asked you, which is. If the same people are winning these tournaments, then that would seem to imply that there's more skill than luck in this game. And he was kind of curious if you could put your finger on where that is. Now, you've given me a couple of pointers here that that I think I'll reiterate just, you know, for the sake of the record here, which is, you know, Pharaoh tiles, if you can accumulate those and river tiles early, since they have the possibility of scoring during all three epochs, maybe are something you should focus on in the beginning. And based on my much more limited experience with the game, I would say I think you're absolutely right on that. Other than that, though, are there any other sort of ideas that would, you know, kind of lead you to believe why the same people seem to be able to win this game, even though it, on the surface it seems very luck-dependent? Yeah, I think it's probably not so much about drawing the tiles as the other option, the, the calling up. I think there's a reason this game is called Ra. I think if you're feeling like you're getting screwed by the tiles you drop from the bag, you're probably drawing too many tiles from the bag. And as a general principle, call Ra more often. It's Calling Ra is, is, is good because it puts you in the driving seat for that auction. You have the final bid, that auction. You can see what everyone else has put in and you can choose to beat them or you can choose to let someone have it. Um, you can choose to call Ra at a time when you know that it's something you really want and you're going to be able to get or you can call it in order to force someone else to spend one of their tiles on something that you don't really want that much but you know they really need I think calling Ra is the power move in this game so knowing when to call Ra is probably the biggest thing that's going to differentiate a good player from a bad player well when I with people who haven't played the game much before, they tend to draw a lot of tiles because they don't really <laughs> see why they would call. They don't really see why they would call raw, and I think that's that's the key the key skill of the game. 
That is me, my friend. I will tell you that much. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I was playing raw with my friend uh, Jim, uh, uh, Jim Shaw, who I've recorded with before, Red V on uh, uh, Board Game Geek, and Justin, uh, Justin Nordstrom, um, just Nord on Board Game Geek, who's also recorded with me. And uh, we, you know, we played quite a bit of raw, and I remember being just incredibly frustrated playing that game because Jim would call raw like every two seconds. I'm like, what yeah, that, are you doing? And that, you know, that's Justin. What says about me. <laughs> and and Justin and I are like, no, 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 it's too early. Oh, my God, no, no, you can't do that yet. And he and I are like, oh, we're not bidding on any of this crap. And, you know, now we're going to, you know. And I kind of came to the decision that both Justin and I were just way too cheap, apparently. Like, we were really yeah. kind of like, all right, fine. Jim, you can call Ra. And we kind of like, all right, you take it. You do whatever you want with your little lousy one or two tiles. We're going to let you bid all your tiles because in this game, once you have bid your three or four tiles, you're done for that epoch. You can't call Ra. You can't bid on anything anymore. And they were like, and then we're going to show you because we're going to get like eight tiles. I think, what is it, eight? <laughs> we're going to get eight tiles on that display and we're just going to get them all. And you've got your lousy little one or two, but we're just going to hold on to our bidding tiles and we're going to get this huge payout. Nana, nana, nana. And what happened is we kind of noticed that Jim got exactly what he needed. <laughs> and we, at the very end, ready for our feast of tiles, I swear to God, we drew like raw tiles. I think we drew like four of them in a row. <laughs> it's like yeah. all of a sudden, the epoch's over. We got nothing. We got totally hosed. And we're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. But I also think that I, it's not really always apparent easily when you should call Ra. I mean, clearly you should call Ra more often than Justin and I wanted to. Justin and I were kind of <laughs> looking at it as a value. You know, it's like we're going to get a good value. We're going to get a bargain. <laughs> and clearly that's not the way to go in this game, even though instinctively I think most people would say more tiles equals better move. If you're getting more, how can that not be better? And yet, the game seems to be, after I've played it a little bit, designed to punish you if you go for more tiles because you run the risk of having raw called when you don't want to call. You also run the risk of getting catastrophe tiles, which we haven't talked about yet, which will remove tiles from your display, uh, your set collection, if you want to call it that, or your tableau, if you want to be right, <laughs> call it like that. So it, it removes those tiles that, you know, so now all of a sudden you have a bunch of pharaohs who die and you're like, oh man, now I'm not in first place anymore. I'm actually in third place. What am I going to do? The epoch's almost over. I'm hosed, right? So it's the knowing when to call Ra, I think, as you said, that seems to be the real answer in this game for Eric um, and for all of us out there who want to be better at this game. But it seems difficult to know when to call it. Because as you indicated, there are some times that you're going to call it to force the other players to bid. And then there are some times that you're going to call it because you really want what's out there, even though there might only be one or two tiles. Are there any other kind of general rules of thumb that you can think of that would help a player make a decision as to when they should call Ra? So I think this is it's, it's almost a kind of instinct thing that you develop by playing a bunch of times and it's not one of those this is another thing i really like about the game you can't just put some formula on it you know i feel like there are a lot of games where but you it's can a kinesia game you're these... supposed to be able to do that <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so, so you know, I can't, I can't say to you, you know, if it gets to something on the uh, the display of tiles is worth at least five points to you, then you should spend at least a ten tile on it, or you know, there's there's no hard and fast rules like that, and that's the thing that I like is that the valuation actually changes with every tile that's drawn and it changes for each of the players differently so you need to you need to know not only what the tiles that are currently up for bid are worth to you but what they're worth to everyone else as well so you have some idea of what they might be prepared to put in for it and it's also really important where you are in that epoch and you mentioned the raw tiles these come out of the bag randomly and they don't get auctioned they, they're just like a clock for the round mm-hmm. so as you get nearer and nearer to that round just suddenly ending you're going to expect to get less for your tiles basically because you want to spend them before the clock runs out you don't want to be left not making the the number the purchases that you are allowed to make um so you have to balance all these different factors. What does he want? What does she want? What do I want? How long's left? Which suns do we have? Which sun am I going to get? And there's no there's no formula for it. I feel like I've developed a kind of you know, I've developed ways of thinking about it and um and it's just experience and and, and and instinct. So I know that's not very helpful, but I think this is one of the <laughs> games where you just need to play it. Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think you're right in, in that it's not a, a game that you can calculate. Uh, it defies calculation because of the random tile draw. Um, but you also make a really good point, uh, you know, that you need to not only keep an eye on, on what a display of tiles is worth to you, but what is it worth to the other players? Because if I can convince, for example, a player uh, to, if I call Ra, and I know that there's a couple tiles that a player really wants, and they have the 11 bidding tile, and we're near the end of an epoch, um, they may throw that 11 and gain those tiles, which on the surface you might think is bad for you because you just gave them something that you know they wanted. However, I can then quickly, uh, after only one or two tile pulls from the bag, call Ra, uh, especially if some of those tiles are useful to me, and I might be able to trade in something like a four to get a ten, which is going to put, or what did I say? Not a ten. I think I said a, a thirteen or something. That's going to put me at a much better position, or in a much better position for the following round. So right. this kind of further complicates the game, as far as I'm concerned, not in a bad way, but in a in a brain burning kind of way, because I have played games, especially early on, uh, in my experience with Raw, where you know, I got a lot of great tiles, but going into the next epoch, I had like the two, the four, the seven, and yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm 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 gonna get the dregs of whatever's left here because oh, oh, I, let let me um let me talk about that a bit because I actually really like having those small sun tiles, especially in the second epoch because you can just call Ra every time. <laughs> and it just annoys people so much, and they're like, yes, "I don't want to spend my ten on this crap." And then you get something, you get a couple of decent tiles for your one because no one else wants to spend, and you can just use those small tiles to just frustrate people and just keep calling raw every time raw, and it, it it's fun to do. 
That's that's uh, that's kind of interesting and rather devilish of you. And uh, <laughs> sounds like and actually the um, the big thirteen. You know, you have that thirteen. You think I can have whatever I want with style you know and you wait and wait for that perfect batch of you know you want to get the full collection of eight tiles and you wait and wait and people keep calling raw because they're annoying and <laughs> don't want to spend your 13 because it's the 13 you it's a, it's, it's right 13. and then 13. suddenly the epoch's over and oh i've still got the 13 i didn't buy anything with it so it can be a blessing and a curse the uh the big tile, I think. That's very interesting. Yeah, and uh, I've had that experience. So, uh, and and again, I you know I think Jim was just a better player at that game because he did exactly what you described. He just kept calling raw, and we were we were just so incredibly annoyed. Um, <laughs> you know, and and often we would just cross our arms and refuse to bid, and then the tiles would be flushed. Um, because it, in this game, if if everybody passes, you continue then to draw tiles. Um, but if everybody continues to pass and no one's willing to bid on them and you fill up the display, then uh, what happens is uh, on that final auction, if nobody bids anything, all those tiles go away. They're all flush. Now, yeah. sometimes that can be a good thing, but sometimes that can be maddening as well. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing those general strategy tips uh, because you know I think it's something that is very subtle and uh, a lot of what you said hadn't even occurred to me, so I appreciate you sharing that. I think to, to probably my summary would be if calling Ra is going to make someone annoyed, you should probably call Ra. <laughs> okay. So that's the general rule of thumb. Annoy your opponent. All right. Yep. I like that. Um, I, I wanted to also move on, Martin. Uh, Paul Hackman is a, a Board Game Geek uh, user who contributed to the discussion thread there. And he, he made a really interesting comment uh, that I wanted to kind of touch base on. I mean, he talked about the simplicity of the design, which we've already sort of discussed. Um, but he also kind of asked uh, a couple of questions I want to throw at you. Uh, he he kind of talks about how a lot of games nowadays are what are kind of being referred to as point salad games. Um, where there's just a, a ton of different options, a myriad of choices in order to gain victory points. Uh, and I think the poster child for point salad games is Stefan Feld. Um, I, I just started playing uh, Bora Bora, and uh, I, I'm assuming there's a cow somewhere where you are because I heard what sounded like a moo, and, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, I happen to like Stefan Feld's games. Um but I, I will be the first one to admit they are point salad. There, there, is, there is no doubt that um, uh, many of his games just offer you this sort of huge uh, array of choices, and it's very difficult at times to figure out what is the best thing to do. Whereas uh, what Paul is saying is that, you know, this game is very different because there are a lot of ways to score points. And you yourself just said it, so you can't take it back. There's a lot of ways <laughs> to score points. Pharaoh tiles and Nile tiles and monument tiles at the end and civilization tiles. But it never feels um, overwhelming the way, say, the first time you play uh, uh, Trajan or the first time you play Bora Bora or Castles of Burgundy can feel, where there's just so many different ways to score points. You just, What am I supposed to do? How do you think Ra offers that many choices and yet doesn't feel that way? It doesn't feel overwhelming. Or do you think it's just a critical mass, perhaps, of a number of choices before it starts to feel that way? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's because, although there are lots of different 
sources of points in RAR, as you might see in some of these other games. There aren't a lot of different things you can do in RAR. As we said earlier, there are basically two choices each turn. Am I going to pull a tile? Am I going to call it RAR? In a lot of these point salad games, there's a whole bunch of different actions you can take and, and completely different different things that each player is doing to score points. So then you can get overwhelmed by all these different options. But when it comes to your turn on Ra, you know I'm going to have to choose one of these two things. And if I call Ra, then I'm going to have to choose how much to bid. And that's it. So you can't really get overwhelmed by that choice in the same way. And also can't, you know, in a lot of these point salad games, they also we also talk about multiple paths to big games. And you can kind of pick a strategy and and stick to it. And you have to, you know, if you're doing one strategy, you'll be taking certain types of action and following a kind of path. Um, in Ra, you can't really do that because of the random tile draw. You can't sort of pick a path and follow it. It all gets mixed up. So I think, I think those are a couple of the reasons that it, it feels different to me. I think that's a great way to put it, and I hadn't really considered that um, in, in that, you know, there are many ways to score points, but there's only two actions. For example, in Bora Bora, uh, you have, I think, about six different action spaces that you can select, and some of those action spaces offer you three or four or perhaps five different options. Mm-hmm. So I, I get exactly what you're saying now, you know, that... that the, the complexity uh, and the overwhelm kind of feeling can come uh, not from, it's not so much the ways that you can score points, but just from the huge variety of actions. Now, right. uh, to some players like myself, uh, that leads to a lot of variety and a lot of different paths that you can go down and explore, a lot of different things to try, um, and and it it's almost a game itself to try different combinations and see what works and what doesn't work or or what have you, and can be very enjoyable. But it also uh, I've I've taught many many Stefan Feld games to many many people, and I have often run across that sort of blank stare where I can sort of tell <laughs> I've put someone into overload um if you've ever tried to explain trajan or ever tried to explain bora bora to someone this is not something that can be done in the five minutes it takes to explain ra and yet ra seems to uh, you know have an awful lot of uh choices and an awful lot of sort of uh, um tense decisions that need to be made so i think that's a really interesting difference because you know, the, the the trend recently seems to be going towards this kind of greater complexity, and yet um, you seem to be able to have a very satisfying game experience with a game like Ra. Um, and, and it's, like you said, it it's feels much simpler because you only have those two possible sort of choices. So uh, thank you for sharing that because I think that's a great point. Uh, I'll be curious what other people might have to say. Um, you know, I'm going to post a uh, discussion thread for this episode when we're done, Martin. And I'll be curious yeah. if, if other people, uh, you know, agree with you, um, you know, about where that sense of overwhelming comes. Because uh, I think you made an excellent point there. Um, something else that Paul wanted me to ask you, which I found to be another really interesting question, is that... Uh, he wants to know if you've heard of any other games that have used the bidding tile concept because 
I kind of find this interesting because I, I often find myself asking the same question about other games. Like, why has the tower from Shogun or, or Wallenstein, the cube tower, yeah. why has that not been used? I mean, that, that was a really interesting, uh, fantastic kind of little device that was invented for that game, and yet I've never seen it used again. Hey, does, doesn't uh, Stefan Feld have as many games coming out this year that uses uh, uses the Cube Tower? I thought I read that. I don't know, but now you got me all excited because I like Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, but you know what I mean. There are certain yeah. very distinct mechanics or mechanisms uh, uh, that are used in games, and the Cube Tower is one example I thought of. But I think uh, that Paul's absolutely right. These raw tiles, the bidding tiles which so simplifies that auction that you were talking about. You don't have to keep going round robin, you know? Has that been used in any other games? Because I can't think of any. Uh, so the one I cite as being the kind of descendant of Ra most closely is um, is Metropolis with a Y, the um, the Istari game. Have you played that one? I have not played that, no. Okay, it's a, it's a really cool game. I like it a lot. Um, it doesn't have exactly the same situation as uh as raw because every player has the same set of effectively bidding tiles at the start everyone has um a one all the way up to a 13 and it doesn't do the thing where you're cycling them around so you don't you don't buy new bidding tiles with your existing one right but once your bidding tiles are spent on something you don't have them anymore. So by the mid game, you know, I might still have a one, a five, a six, an eight, and a 10, and you might have a 13 and a 11 and a seven and a whatever. So you get into that state where it's kind of the same thing where you know exactly what each other can bid. And there are certain amounts that you know you can't bid. So it's sort of reminiscent of the way the sun tiles work in that way. The thing that's really cool about Metropolis is that it, adds a, a spatial element to the whole thing. So what you're bidding for is areas on a map. So I might start off by placing my seven down on one area that I want, and you don't outbid me for that area. You outbid me by placing a higher uh, bidding piece in an adjacent area. So you might want one next door and be prepared to pay nine for it. And then I might want one next door to that, and that one I'll pay 10 for. And, and you end up with this kind of trail running around the map of successively higher bids until until everyone passes. So it's a really neat game. But yeah, that's the one that kind of I would I would always cite as a sort of spiritual descendant of Ra. Well, that's, a, that's interesting because, you know, once you said that, it got me thinking about um, uh, El Grande because El Grande has a set of bidding cards that you use as well. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I think, though, that you, you hit it on the head maybe a little earlier uh, when you said that, you know, yes, there are games out there that have bidding tiles or, in this case, bidding cards. But the really unique twist, I think, that Raw Attitude is what you said, which is, you're not only bidding for what it what it is you're getting, either tiles or uh, in El Grande, um, you know, a particular card that's going to allow you to do something, um, but you're also getting your next set of bidding tokens. And I think yeah. that's the thing that is completely different and novel. That I can't think of another game that does that either with bidding cards or anything else. You know, the only thing that might come close for sale. Because yeah. 
I'm bidding my money in order to get property cards, but then I'm going to use those property cards in the next round, the next phase of the game, to bid for the checks. Right. So maybe, um, yeah, anything else? There's actually a couple of other Knizia games, um, card games, which aren't, again, aren't exactly the same, but which have kind of what you just mentioned, that you're bidding on something which you can then use to bid with further. So money is one of them. Ah, uh-huh, yes, um, you're right. And the other one is it's a game I just played uh, last week or so for the first time called uh, Cats and Jammer Blues, which has the most bizarre theme. I mean, we talk about Clint <laughs> here and his pasted on themes. This one is about cats playing <laughs> jazz. I don't like cats, so I'll have none of that. <laughs> <laughs> but If but it was it, dogs it playing kind of jazz, it would be about, all right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're bidding on cards and then you use those cards to bid on more cards and you're sort of gradually upgrading your your hand through these bids well that's really interesting i may have to try that game out even despite my aversion to cats um (laughs) if it's a sort of an upgrading sort of a game because i do kind of like those i like those games where you're sort of constantly uh, uh upgrading your abilities uh innovation feels that way to me not not in a bidding way but just that idea of constantly upgrading constantly uh, evolving and changing and becoming more uh, flexible, more powerful, you know, what have you in, in, in game terms. I really enjoy games like that. So uh, that, that, that does sound interesting, uh, despite the strange theme. <laughs> Funny you should give me a lead in about theme because <laughs> the other thing that Paul asked about uh, and that Eric uh, Brocious gave me some great info on was, you know, he talks about how, you know, Ra is always accused of having a pasted on theme. And I myself very much feel exactly the same way. I, I always kind of felt it was kind of silly. Uh, you know, there, there's really no tie, you know, there's no theme here. It's like you get these tiles and you score points and some of them stay and some of them go. I don't feel like a pharaoh in Egypt. Well, Eric Brocious shared an article uh, with me that was written uh, by the uh, late uh, Dave Farquhar, um, who was apparently a playtester for Reiner Knizia. And apparently, Raw started off as a board game. And it was a rather long, complex board game where in an almost Martin Wallace kind of style, there were these sort of three epochs and there was actually sort of um, spatial considerations and elements to the board. I almost kind of wondered after looking at this article talking about Reiner Knizia's sort of process of kind of revising and refining raw from this very big sort of uh, long epic board game he wanted to make an epic egyptian civilization game and what he ended up with was the game we know today um and, and so apparently this was not just a random decision that dr kinesia came up with he said you know i wanted to make this game i wanted to make a thematic civilization game and i love apparently he's very interested in ancient egypt and thought it was the perfect setting but through playtesting and sort of understanding how long the game was and how complex the game was through playtesting and refinement he ended up actually eventually having to make a decision to do away with the board and i've often mm. kind of wondered whether uh amun ray was sort of I just played that for the first time with Joe Gola, and I kind of wondered 
whether or not Amon Ray, after reading this article, I'd have to look and see which one came first, but it almost felt when I played Amon Ray that this was like the second part of Raw. Like this was, this was part of the board game that maybe he had designed as part of Raw, but then had to be sort of thrown off to the side yeah. as he refined Raw. Have you heard any of this before about this I, theme, or is this I, new to you? No, I, I have, and actually I'm I'm pretty sure wherever I read it, and I don't know where that was, it, it did make that suggestion that Ra and Amon Ray were originally part of the same game and ended up being split off into two completely different games. So, I mean, interesting. I would I would love to have seen that that original game. It, it, it sounds crazy, but you know, I I would have loved to have uh, heard, I would love to hear more about how that would have all come together. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to see if I can get permission to actually post this uh, PDF of this article, um, you know, perhaps uh, somewhere in the guild or, you know, uh, associated or linked or something with uh, the discussion thread for this because I found it to be a fascinating read, but I don't want to post it without permission. Yeah, and unfortunately, sure. the author uh, has passed, uh, but the you know, the person that holds the rights, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to, you know, maybe oh, get in cool. contact with them. But, yeah, I mean, apparently, and I was very interested to hear – you know, Reiner Knizia, I think, is always accused of being sort of very mathematical and calculating and sort of cold almost. And yet listening to him describe the overall process, you know, uh, he, he says it was very like painful for him. It was very uncomfortable because there was so many things that he he liked and so many things that he wanted to do. And one of the things that I was struck by is, you know, he said that he feels that you should never force a game to be something that it's not supposed to be like that, that to force the board portion and the other ideas that he had onto Rob when he kind of boiled it down and stripped away the layers of the onion, what he was left with was the auction mechanic and the tiles because eventually he kind of decided that he didn't even need cards. They were originally supposed to be cards in the mm-hmm. game that all that he needed were tiles. And so when he stripped it down to its core, that's what he found. And he felt that even though it was hard for him, because he kind of had to give up, it sounds like, on part of his dream, his original vision, he felt that to force the game to do something other than what it ultimately became would have been wrong. And I kind of found that interesting. Um, Is that why maybe... I'm wondering if maybe we should give Dr. Kinesi a little more credit. He gets slammed quite a bit nowadays. Um, and sometimes I think for good reason. You know, from my perspective, sometimes I think it seems like he churns some stuff out. But at the same time, when I think about his classic games, Tigris and Euphrates and Ra and, and, and Amon Ray and games like that, they really do seem to be perfect the way they are. Like, I can't think of anything that I would add to Ra. Can you? No, and I think this is something Knizia is is famous for, and I think there's there's some quote from him about how the way he designs games is he keeps taking stuff away until only the essential is left. And yeah, I mean, you said we should give him more credit. I I can't give him much more credit than I do already. I think the guy's an absolute genius. He's um he's easily my favorite designer of of all time. I've played over fifty of his games now. Um, and yeah, they're just his classic games. Just for me, are the best games around. Tigris and Euphrates being one we 
obviously talked about on the show previously in my yes. my all time favorite. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's just so many others, um, you know, and, and he seems to have uh, an ability to kind of uh, strip things down to their core and yet leave interesting decisions, at least with his best work, uh, in my yeah. opinion. Um, well, I just wanted to kind of ask about that theme. Now, knowing what we know about the sort of history of the game and, and where it originally came from and where it is now, um, if, if I can take you in the Wayback Machine and undo everything I just did in the last five minutes, would you have said... I did this in the wrong order, I guess, Martin. Would you have said Ra is thematic or not? It's not highly thematic in the sense of... It's not really clear who you are in the game or why you're doing the things you're doing. It's one of these games where I'd call it... uh, a theme as as a mnemonic it's a it's a theme that helps you you know if you can imagine this as an an abstract game it would just be like oh so then there's these tiles that you score for only if you have one of this other type of tile and these ones we have to give back and you know you just get confused whereas the the scoring for the different tiles kind of makes sense with the names that that they're given you know like you can only score the rivers if you have a flood oh that makes sense because we're not going to be able to grow our crops unless the floodwaters rise you know so there's little things like that that just make the game easier to learn and obviously give an excuse for the game to have a certain artwork and, and style and be more bling that way so unlike tigris and euphrates which i think actually has a really good theme to mechanics connection despite what a lot of people say about it being super dry and and abstract Ra, i don't think has that strong theme to mechanic connection but i think the theme is still playing an important role to to making the game good yeah that's kind of interesting because you know i i hmm, I, i really kind of feel that there are certain parts of the game that have a theme, you know, uh, for example, the Pharaoh tiles. I mean, Pharaohs come and then they go. Um, and so when Pharaohs die due to the disaster tiles, that kind of feels very thematic to me. When uh, monuments crumble and fall, that feels very thematic to me. What doesn't feel thematic to me sometimes is, you know, uh, things like the pharaoh tiles staying in your display it's like you know these people aren't immortal but then i kind of thought about it before i recorded the show and i thought well now that's not like your pharaoh that's your line of pharaohs that's your dynasty and that dynasty can perpetuate through different eras or different epochs and so you know maybe that i can kind of buy that but I kind of felt with the theme for Rob very much the way I felt about the theme with Tigris and Euphrates with you, which is if if I look hard enough, I find things there. And that might be why I was so intrigued by that article, because clearly there was a theme. And so I think we're seeing the sort of echoes or, or sort of the remnants of that original theme that shine through. You know, the way I described earlier in the episode, the way those civilization tiles, you know, you have to discard them. And, you know, on some levels, people might say, well, that's not thematic at all. You know, you don't suddenly forget how to write. You don't suddenly forget how to do this or do that. But at the same time, in a way, if you look at Egyptian history, 
you kind of did. I mean, there were very distinct phases um, and, and parts of Egyptian history where the whole civilization almost reinvented itself. And so, you know, that, when you look at it from that perspective, is almost very thematic in a way that you discard those civilization tiles. But, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it seems like with some of these um, Kinesia games, I have to actually spend effort to find the theme, it's not right there for me. Would you agree with that or not? I think it varies a lot between between his games. I think, uh, you know, he's not he's not the kind of designer that's all about theme, bells and whistles. You know, every, everything is everything is theme first. You know, he clearly the mechanics are are more important than the theme in in, in his games. I think, but. I think it varies a lot, and from the ones where the theme is pretty much just a way of making the mechanics make sense and be able to remember them, to the ones where where the theme to mechanic connection is a lot stronger. So, yeah, um, the thing we should definitely mention while we're talking about the theme of Rado is the is Razia, uh, which is basically the same game as Ra, but with a completely different theme. Really, and this came out. Um, a few years later, 2004, I think, and it's it's a card game rather than a tile game, but essentially the same. You know, instead of having a bag full of tiles, you have a deck of cards which you turn over the top card from, and it has a mafia theme. Um, and it, all the all the elements in it are still the same types of scoring. You know, you have the the ones that you score at the end of the game based on sets, and you have the ones you score most for each round. But you know everything's just changed to fit the new theme. So instead of having the raw tiles gradually building up until the end of the epoch, you have police cards building up until you have a raid. Ah, interesting. Of, okay. Um, and, and, and everything kind of, and, and actually in, in some ways, some of the things connect better with, with that theme than they do with the, with the Egyptian theme, which I think goes to show that it, it's really just about giving some kind of framework to make those those scoring mechanisms make sense and you can kind of do that with with different themes um yeah yeah that is kind of interesting and i i was not aware of that game at all and uh that you know that that seems interesting and again something that dr kinesia has developed a reputation for which is sort of taking his games his own games and re-theming them and maybe changing a thing or two and then throwing it out there in the wild and you know i think that that's that's a reason why you know sometimes he's gotten a little bit of flack um you know we're not doing the episode on that game we're doing it on Ra. So there must be a reason why Ra seems to be more widely regarded than you know the other game you're talking yeah. about. Um, and, and I don't know whether it's just because people responded negatively to sort of what they might have seemed as a, a retheme or a retreading uh, of the game system or whether it's just not as good of a game. Uh, interestingly enough, someone else uh, posted on the discussion thread, you know, wanting to know what, you know, we thought about Ra the Dice game. Um, I gathered from your post that you don't care for it. You care to explain why? Sure. Rather dice game for those who haven't played it. It essentially takes the scoring system or or large parts of it from Ra. So the kind of most pharaohs and the rivers and the floods and a lot of those elements appear in the scoring of Rather dice game. But Rather dice game instead of having 
the whole raw sun tile bidding system that we've talk, been talking so much about basically replaces that with a kind of Yahtzee type dice rolling and re-rolling mechanism. I've only played it once, so I'm not, uh, I don't remember all the exact details, but essentially you're rolling dice to try and collect uh, things in those different scoring categories. And to me, the scoring system of Ra is not what makes Ra an interesting and great game. The bidding system of Ra is what makes Ra an interesting and great game. And you could have the bidding system of Ra replaced with different categories of scoring. And actually, I think that's what did happen with, uh, with Priests of Ra, which I have not played. But I think basically that's the same bidding system with different scoring. Whereas rather dice game is the same scoring system, but without the interesting bidding, which to me was what made Ra a great game. So I'm probably unfair on rather dice game in that if I just played it as completely fresh as a standalone dice game, it's probably fun enough. But it's not, not raw. It just I just couldn't I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't enjoy it because it just it, it just seemed to miss the point of what RAR is and why RAR is such a good game. Yeah, I've played RAR the dice game quite a bit because my wife enjoys it quite a bit. And, um, you know, I would say uh, that everything you said is 100% correct. So I'm not going to, you know, retread a lot of it. And you actually said something that I hadn't thought of, which is it strips away the auction mechanic. I don't know why I didn't see that. Um, but that is kind of the, the most interesting part of Ra, that and trying to figure out when to call Ra and what tiles you want versus what everybody else wants that we've already talked about. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a perfectly fine little dice game, right. uh, but it really is all about just those different scoring options, and um, it, it's enjoyable, it's light, but it's not anything that I've played in like the past year. And even right. though my wife really enjoys it, we haven't played it in a year either. So I think that might say something there. You know, I think you might be on to something that maybe too much was taken away in yeah. Raw the Dice game. Um, you know, and, and, and maybe that's why it hasn't hit my table. You know, I don't know. I'd be curious what other people think uh, about the comparisons. I, I kind of like it, but I don't like it more than other games I have. So here we are with the same conundrum that gamers have, which is... Yeah, it's a good game, but is it going to hit the table before this game? And if the answer is no, then it must not be that great. Um, And that's a pretty um, heavily contested field, the kind of light dice game. There are a whole bunch of games in that category. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, One other question I wanted to ask you uh, uh, real quick, uh, since we're kind of talking about um, games and longevity, and that's one of the themes of the show, is... Uh, you know, a couple of people posted the same kind of question, which was, if Raw came out today, do you think it would be successful? Why or why not? I do not know. I don't think it would fit in with the prevailing kind of style today. So I can see that it, it wouldn't be all that popular. And we talked about it a bit earlier. There has been this trend for games to become more complex and have all these variety of actions and this kind of point salad felled approach. And that seems to be really the fashionable thing right now, worker placement um, and auctions or at least kind of pure auction games seem to have gone 
out of fashion over the same kind of time period. And, and when Ra came out, there were tons of auction games coming out, um, that kind of late 90s, early 2000s. And I guess really auctions and worker placement are just two different ways of allocating stuff between players. And so it kind of makes sense that as more worker placement games are coming out, less auction games are going to be coming out because things tend to go in these kind of phases of, of what's popular and designers see what other designers are doing and, and emulate it. So I think Raw, if it came out now, would be seen as an unusual game and maybe it will be successful, but I don't know. It's, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the only thing that I can point to that, that I would say, and I'm going to use the same designer um, that you just brought up once again, Stefan Feld. Uh, I am going to say that I think the game would be successful, um, maybe not to the extent that it was when it originally came out, but even uh, like there's a game by Stefan Feld called the Speicherstadt. Yeah. And that game is actually quite simple. For a Feld game, there's really, you don't have that point salad kind of a feel. It is a very elegant sort of bidding auction game and very simple. And that game has slowly kind of gained momentum since it was released, uh, especially considering it has a very, at least for here in the United States, I apologize to my German listeners, but, you know, Speicherstadt is not immediately a title that is going to grab your attention. You're going to think it's an import and it's in a different language and I'm not even going to be able to play it when actually the game is completely language independent and it just refers to, I think, a port town in Germany. Um, and, and an actual place. Um, but, you know, the game itself has actually, I think, been growing in popularity, and especially with the release of the expansion that just came out a little while ago. And that game, to me, kind of feels a little similar to Raw in that it's not this huge convoluted game. Uh, it's actually quite a simple game, and yet there's some real agonizing tough choices to make. Um, yeah. Have you played that game? Do you think that's a fair comparison or no? Yeah, I've played it a couple of times, and I, I totally get what you're what you're saying there. It definitely feels like one of the more focused, straightforward Feld designs, and it has one central mechanism that really drives it, and that is a bidding mechanism, which is the whole thing where you have the kind of um, towers of meeples that that give you priority order on on bids, and that's that's like a really is a really cool bidding mechanic, I think, that gives you lots of agonizing decisions. I didn't really enjoy some other parts of that game, like the stuff you were bidding for, where it was kind of, you know, there was a bit of kind of cubes turning in, you know, a bit of resource conversion. And, and, and I just found some of the rest of the game, the stuff that you were collecting a bit bland somehow. But I did really like that that bidding mechanism. And... I think, yes, uh, definitely a fair comparison. So, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as popular, um, you know, as as it was back when it was originally released. I think you're 100% on target when you say that, you know, back when Raw was originally released, there were just tons of auction games out there. But, uh, you know, at the same time, this is one of the auction games that is still with us. 
and I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's it's pretty much firmly got a foothold in the category of this game will probably be in print for a very very long time because you know as more people are introduced to it 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 seems to always catch hold and i think yeah. even though it's an older design i think people often find it refreshing for exactly the reasons we've been discussing um another question i wanted to ask you comes from uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's ian i don't know if i'm saying that correctly ian c um who posted a, a couple questions um said how does the game change in your opinion if at all based on the number of players yeah, so raw. I think this was it was one of the ones where it was originally, or at least some editions were three to five, and then uh, some people on BGG or maybe elsewhere came up with a two-player variant. And when it came out as a reprint, it was a two to five. And the same thing happened with uh, with Tigris and Euphrates. Actually, a, a two players was kind of added on at a, a later stage. I think so, two to five. Uh, I find three or four to be my favoured number of players for the game. Uh, I think it's a really great game with with three, which is more unusual than being being a game with four. So that's a nice feature. I think with three and four, you have that a bit more control than you do with five. With five, because you know there's so many other players potentially drawing from the bag. Or calling Ra before it gets around to you again, you can you can lose that control you need to have over who's getting what. So it's still I'd still play it with five, and I'd and I'd I need, I would enjoy it, but I would definitely prefer to play with three or four. The two player game I played a reasonable amount with my wife when we, when I first picked up a copy of Ra, and, and we enjoyed that too, but. Um, there's some features of the scoring system that I like left with two because they don't feel like they should be zero sum. Like the pharaohs can become so hugely important because Absolutely. it's just yeah, it's just one player gaining points um, and things like at the end of the game where you get plus or minus five points for having the highest total of remaining sun tiles and lowest total of remaining sun tiles and that just becomes a huge dominant factor at the end of a two-player game more so than it does when 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 you have more so three to four is is the sweet spot yeah i'm going to agree with everything you just said uh, i don't think it works at all with two to be honest with you for exactly the reasons you said i i, I just the point swings are just too wild and i funnily enough i, I have the exact same problem with the spiker shot as a two-player game because uh, the spiker shot has a, uh, a sort of a fireman phase and uh, the person who has the most firemen, right. uh, you know, gains points, I believe, and the person who has the least loses points. And any time in a two-player game where you have one player going up and another going down, making this huge point spread, I, I think it just becomes an enormous issue in a two-player game and, and one that I, I just don't think works at all. So I'm going to come right out and say I don't like it with two at all, and I also really don't like it with five. And And you've already explained what the problems are for five. And I have the exact same problems. There is uh, almost no control um, in, in a five-player game, to my mind. Now, maybe that's just because of my lack of experience with it, but I really did not enjoy the five-player game. It felt almost entirely random. All the things that people talk about, 
you know, that this game is random and luck-driven because of the tile draw. I don't feel that way very often in the three- and the four-player game, but boy, in the five-player game, I just feel like, what's the point? I, I you know, I have no idea what's going to happen, how long this epoch's going <laughs> to last. I, I, I got nothing. I, it's just... Yeah. You know, you talk about playing by your gut. That's like, you know, playing by your, you know, I don't know, your uh, your large intestine. I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea. It's just like it's not even my full gut. It's just like a piece of my gut. Ah, who knows? So I don't like it with five at all. So I'm going to go on record yeah. and say if I was playing raw, I would only play three or four player. I, I don't even enjoy it at all at either of the other ends of the spectrum. So, um. Is there anything else that you can think of, Martin, other than what we've talked about, that would explain to you why this game has lasted so long? I think a lot of the stuff we've already talked about. One aspect we haven't really mentioned so far is that there's a kind of push-your-luck element to RAR as well, which, oh, yeah. which is just a lot of fun. And the way that works is kind of if you hang back... You don't spend your tiles. You kind of wait it out. You call raw or get other people to spend their tiles. Um, you can actually get to the stage where you force everyone else out of the epoch. They've um, they've spent all their tiles. It's just you left. So they just have to then sit and watch while you kind of play chicken with the bag and you try and draw more tiles out and and hope that you're not going to fill up the raw track. Before you get, before you decide to stop and and buy what you've got, so this is just a really really fun. Sometimes when someone gets in that position and they're taking risks, and and generally the other players will be will be sort of chanting rah 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 because <laughs> they're hoping for the uh, the rah tiles to get drawn from the bag and the player to have uh, wasted their wasted their last sun. That's and, exactly and, uh, what happens to me every time yeah. I try that. <laughs> Never works for me, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how often you get into that position and there's like four spaces left on the track and you're like, yay, I'm going to be able to get so much stuff. And then it's like, rah, rah, rah. Oh, crap. Right. You know, it's, yes. uh, it, it, and and that's, 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 a, that's a cool feature, I think. I, I, that, that, that's definitely a big element of the, the appeal. Excellent. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me tonight about this game. I know it's getting late where you are there in the UK. Uh, we're recording uh, today on the 3rd, uh, I believe it is, of April. And mm-hmm. uh, Martin was kind enough to join me, even though we've got, I think, about a five-hour time difference. So by the time I got home from work, it's already late for uh, for you. So I don't want to hold you up too much longer. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you about, though, before I let you go, is I always try to look at the sort of ergonomics of the game um and and this is something else that was brought up by uh, someone who had posted you know they kind of felt that um sometimes there there wasn't a lot of uh information about the scoring that was readily apparent in the game components in other words you know raw doesn't really seem to have any kind of like player aids at least Mm -hmm. the version i have that kind of like lets you know there's nothing on the tiles that lets you know that pharaohs score each round and that monuments don't, for example. And there's nothing on the board that kind of gives you clues other than, you know, that that sort of raw track where it kind of gives you an idea of how much time you might have left in the current epoch. I was wondering if, you know, what you thought about sort of this game from the ergonomic standpoint, you know? Yes, so I think probably that's something where if it was coming out now as a new game, I 
think probably we do a bit better now with games coming with with player aids and stuff like that um and maybe the tiles would have some kind of iconography that would help and and that kind of thing uh you know now it just seems like such second nature to me now that i i don't you know it's hard to remember when i was first playing it but i i do just about remember having difficulties with you know on what which ones go away at the end of the epoch and which ones stay around and and there's at least in my edition there's a little aid printed onto the board you know there's a little reminder of of what each type of tile scores for and um and i think it's in english on one side of the board and german on the other side of the board like that um one of the other editions that i played with i think maybe the uber play edition they put little red x's on some of the tiles which were the ones that that go away at the end of the around so there was some way of distinguishing them and there are also some cool player aids as always on on bgg which give you a kind of player mat to store your tiles on which also reminds you of of when they go away and how they how they each score which which improves things that way but i mean the tiles themselves are at least very distinctive you know when you draw one from the bag you, you're not kind of thinking oh which which is this again you know they have clear grounds as well as as well as artwork and i don't find them at all hard to tell apart and i think some of the other pieces are really neat i like the sort of chunky sun tiles and the the ra itself you know kind of a um superfluous in some ways you know you could just say ra and then everyone bids but you get this big chunky blue kind of um ra head um, and that's that's one of my favorite pieces in in any game i think i just love grabbing the uh, grabbing the raw and slamming <laughs> it down uh, we've already talked about you know annoying everyone by calling raw and, and that lets you you know gives you something to actually grab hold of and, so uh, so you're uh, grabbing your raw way too much is what i'm yeah. gathering from that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah it's it is a bit of a superfluous piece i agree with you but it, it really does add something i mean you could have a token that you just moved on the on the track or something and that yeah. would be enough but you know it's kind of like the famous slash infamous um you know uh el grande you know the the, the king piece right. in el grande or you know that that tower you know that there's no reason yeah, yeah. that you have to have that ridiculous tower in el grande but my god it's beautiful that castillo <laughs> is just fantastic <laughs> And you're like, this is this is awesome. You know, there's that certain <coughs> bling value, um, for lack of a better term. I can't believe I just said the word bling. But anyway, <laughs> there's there's a certain value when you see that. And, you know, I, I, oddly enough, I'm going to mention the Spikerstadt again. You know, like when I got that game, it had a metal coin. Yeah. That metal coin. I, was, I remember thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. This game only cost $22. This coin must have cost them $22. You know, thinking <laughs> this is great. Um, so yeah, no, I think that that there's tactile wise, there's just something about that, something that's just wonderful to have. Um, and, and, you know, I also agree, uh, that the, the artwork on the tiles, I think is extremely functional. It's very crisp, simple, clear. And I think it really, uh, makes it easy to look across the table and see what everybody's situation is. And that's something that I really appreciate. 
Um, yeah. Would I like more information uh, as a as a new learner about what's going to score and when and how? I think that's a really good point. And I think that, it, like you said, if the game were done today, I think that would be there. But at the same time, it's not an uber-complex game. No. And so I really think that on the whole, I'm okay with that. And I like that clean design. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that's anything that I really particularly have an issue with myself either. So... Well, Martin, I think we've really kind of gone round and, and done a, a good job of looking at this game from all different kinds of angles and points of view. And as always, I want to thank you for taking your time to uh, uh, talk with me about uh, this game. And thank you for uh, all of your ideas and contributions. Oh, no problem. It's really good talking to you again. Well, I appreciate that, Martin, and hopefully we'll have a chance to work again in the future. And uh, thanks, of course, also to uh, uh, the Dice Tower. Um, the Longview is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and I would encourage everybody to go and, and look at their just huge catalog of resources uh, for board gamers. Uh, there's just so many podcasts. There seems to be one for everybody and every taste, and, and I would encourage people to go and check those out. And, of course, Tom Vassell's uh, reviews and news uh, are also very valuable resources as well um, so if you enjoyed this episode maybe you could try to track yourself a copy of raw down and uh, give it a go because it's a classic design that has stood the test of time i don't really think there's any way where we can dispute that and i don't think either of us would want to um, of course, uh, if you're looking to purchase the game, I would suggest you go to gamesurplus.com. They are the sponsor of The Long View, and if you decide to order from them, be sure to mention us. So for Martin Griffiths and myself, I want to say thank you to everyone out there for listening, and have a great night.